All right. Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's Global Macro Trends Quarterly Update webinar, which will be presented by Dr. Lev Brodovsky, Chief Risk Officer here at Star Mountain Capital, and also the editor of the Wall Street Journal's The Daily Shot. My name is John Polis, and I will be your webinar host today. I am the Chief Operating and Technology Officer for your webinar sponsor, Star Mountain Capital. We are a specialized asset management firm focused on investing in large and underserved U.S. lower middle market of companies with typically under $15 million of EBITDA. Our differentiated business model includes a custom-built media and technology platform bringing proven large market resources to smaller businesses as a value-added lender and investment partner. Before I hand over the reins to Lev, I did want to let you know that your audio is muted and will be for the entirety of, the, of today's presentation. Also, as a disclaimer, I wanted to note that nothing presented in this webinar or webinar materials constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase by Star Mountain Capital interest in any investment product. We have allocated time at the end of the presentation for Q&A. If you have a question, you can type it into the Q&A chat box of your WebEx client. We will try to get to as many questions as possible before our hour is up. Now about our presenter. Lev Borodovsky has over 20 years of experience covering private equity, risk management, and operations. He was a founding team member, chief risk officer, and managing director of the GSO Blackstone platform, and one of the most successful global credit and loan investment platforms. Currently, Lev is the chief risk officer here at Star Mountain Capital, and he's also the editor of The Daily Shot, a chart-based newsletter covering select global economic and market trends that is now part of the Wall Street Journal. Lev, this is our third webinar together, and I guess we can call this a series, and we're really excited to uh, to get your thoughts today. Sounds great. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Um, so why don't we get started? A lot to cover. Uh, the topic for today I thought would be helpful to look at this year, and the what some people have called the year of rising risks. Um, so what I thought we could do is um, go through um, some basic categories of risks um, that are out there. Uh, just a note of caution, you know, I'm not here to provide a doomsday scenario. Um, these are, a lot of these are remote possibilities. Um, but um, there's something worth watching. So uh, let's start with the list. Uh, we're going to look at first kind of U.S. political risks, um, then some of the geopolitical landscape, uh, China, and then uh, U.S. inflation and interest rates, um, asset valuations, uh, and sentiment, and then you know, a couple of slides on what what's what the economists kind of expect to happen beyond um, 2018. All right, so let's start with this slide. And this, this comes to us from, from Davos. Um, the uh, Davos participants were asked to um, compare uh, risks this year versus uh, 2017. And, uh, um, overwhelmingly, they all said the risks are higher this year. Uh, and here's how they kind of categorized them. They, they looked at sort of political economic uh, confrontation risks uh, between states, uh, military conflicts, uh, regional conflicts, uh, tra trade, uh, trade erosion, um, you know, security alliances that are talking about uh, the U.S. in particular, and to some extent the U.K., um, and um, the climate change, which is kind of an important but a longer-term risk. So that's, that's, that's what's coming out of Davos as far as the risking here. And they're uniformly saying that they see risks rising this year. So let's look at... Uh, U.S. political risks um, and uh, what 
how can we categorize those? Uh, to begin with, um, you know, from a political perspective, I now look at the United States as, as really two countries in one, um, divided by, um, you know, extreme sort of differences in ideologies. Uh, if you look at uh, the level polarization um, in 2004, it existed, but but there's a significant overlap between sort of um, the, say the Republican Party and the, the Democrats. There's a there's a huge overlap in 2004. If you look at uh, 2017, um, the um, the polarization's reaching sort of extreme levels, and it's a it's a fairly toxic environment from from that perspective that uh, could pose some risks. So the first risk that I want to mention, um, we've seen the uh, government shutdown, and there was a lot of hype about it. That was not a big deal. Um, government shutdowns typically don't do a whole lot to the stock market or, or um, the economy other than potentially um, damage consumer sentiment. We may see some of that, a little bit of a, a pullback in consumer sentiment, which is at multi-year highs. The, the one risk that is coming up um, that, that nobody's really paying attention to is the uh, debt ceiling um, concern. The debt ceiling is um, if, if Congress basically doesn't act, the Treasury will run out of money sometime between March and April, some say, you know, possibly even earlier. Um, and um, when they run out of money, um, this time, it's not about government shutdown. It's about payments, right? Uh, and prioritizing payments. So the president will be required to prioritize payments. And you know, what do you do? Do you default to government contractors? Do you default to social security recipients? Or do you default to um, treasury holders on on treasury coupons? Uh, none of these things are, are pleasant and could be could be devastating. Again, this risk is remote. We've been here before, uh, and you know, pushed this to the last minute. But ultimately, um, this was this was increased. But again, given the um, polarization and, and the hostility and sort of toxic environment, toxic political environment, um, I would say that, that that there is there is some something to to be concerned about and something to watch. So debt ceiling is coming up and uh, Congress needs to act. All right, so let's go to some other risks. Um, you know, this, this there's a lot of hype in the media about this, but you know, the, the new investigation um, can pose risks this year as uh, news comes out and depending on what happens, um, could impact the government's ability to um, make, you know, basically have policy decisions or, um, you know, it could paralyze the government depending on, on the outcome. And somewhat related to this, there's an increasing chance that the, um, the House of Representatives will be um, controlled by the Democrats. Uh, as of the end of the, the year, and um, you know, combine that with a Mueller investigation again creates for for some potential um, political risks. This chart, by the way, shows the betting markets um, um, predicting effectively uh, the chances of Democrats taking control of the House, and, and it's sort of it's been in the kind of mid to upper 60% um, levels. The, the probably the most probable risks that are that we're already experiencing is the um, possibility of a trade war. Um, again, it's um, some of it is just hype, but it's something to pay attention to. So, 
will will the U.S. Um, uh, basically entertain a, a real back and forth trade war with China? Um, you know, some some of this has already sort of started to happen uh, with the solar panels. Uh, you see, uh, South Korea is already seeking to um, retaliate by uh, increasing their tariffs and, uh, you know, just basically escalate. So, um, you know, you impose one tariff, they retaliate, you impose another, they retaliate further, and it creates a, a kind of a vicious cycle. Uh, not, that is generally not a great thing for uh, economic stability and is not, not good for the market. Just as a, a quick um, overview, uh, this this map shows the uh, biggest exporters, the uh, uh, exporting partners for each state, right? So you see the kind of northern states, the biggest export partner is Canada, some of the southern, south, south, the southwest, uh, biggest export partner is Mexico. So these, these States are vulnerable to NAFTA. Uh, the, the Northwest is, is vulnerable to, to China. Uh, so there's um, there's significant risks as far as uh, uh, entering into uh, you know trade problems with with these these uh, trading partners. NAFTA in particular is um, it's it's in the works now. They're trying to get that negotiated. Um, but it, it could it could damage communities around the country. It could it could hit certain companies, um, and it's not, given the integrated uh, supply chain that that we have. It's not even exactly clear what the damage will be. Um, you know, the auto industry will will get hurt, but but also the you know, agri agriculture. Uh, you can already see with the lumber tariffs in place, you can already see um, lumber futures hitting hitting new highs, and that's going to get reflected in in the um, you know new housing construction costs. Um, so you know everybody will feel feel that. Just sort of taking a a bigger view, a broader view on this. If you look at um, what happened the last time the United States uh, moved into kind of a protectionist policy regime was in, in sort of 1929 and 1930. Um, that didn't work out so well. Uh, here are some of the um, actions that the, the federal government took uh, in terms of tariffs and, and so on to restrict trade. And uh, that turned out very ugly for for the economy. Um, and today we had uh, another interesting risk. This is related to trade. Um, you know, we're returning to sort of currency wars. Um, as uh, the Treasury Secretary Mnuchin basically is talking down the dollar, and this has not happened. Uh, for decades, we've never, we haven't had, in decades, we haven't had a, a U.S. Treasury official talking down the dollars, just uh, highly unusual. And while uh, it, he's right in that uh, a weaker dollar is helpful for U.S. manufacturing exports, the concern that we have is, is what people call a, a competitive devaluation where other uh, economies, other countries will also push their currencies lower. Uh, for example, uh, the Eurozone, uh, where the Euro has been strengthening, could decide to delay, uh, the ECB could delay their exit from their quantitative easing uh, to try to weaken the Euro, right? And uh, Japan could do something to, to weaken the yen, which has been strengthening lately. Um, and, and, and so it creates this, this again, vicious cycle Similarly to kind of trade wars, this is another version of trade trade war, uh, but done through the currency currency devaluations. So just something to to look for um, if you know if this could, if this escalates. Um, 
switching to the geopolitical landscape. Um, there's a lot going on there, uh, and there are new risks that are popping up all the time. You know, we, we certainly have the uh, North Korea stuff that's constantly under under the surface and, and bubbling up, uh, and that's well covered. I mean, people are, are very well aware of, of the risks there, uh, and, and I think some of these risks are already priced in. Um, but it could escalate, and it could be it could escalate uh, in an unexpected way. Iran is another one. Um, you know, strangely, I'm, I'm less worried about Iran. Um, they, they have domestic issues um, that they're trying to uh, resolve, which could could spill spill over beyond Iran. But for now, I think. Um, there's going to be rhetoric, but I don't think there is a, that much of a threat to beyond what they've already been doing, which is getting involved in places like Syria and Lebanon. The one that few few people talk about is Pakistan. I think Pakistan is uh, is moving um, closer in sort of hardcore Islamic. Um, um, way of of uh, running the government and and law, uh, so the level of tolerance is is diminishing, and um, the anti-American sentiment um, is on the rise. In fact, if you were to to um, poll um, Pakistanis and and Iranians, my bet would be that um, as far as what, what percentage. You know, hates the United States. That percentage in Pakistan would be higher than Iran. Um, and um, now you're talking about a nation that 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 has nuclear weapons and other types of um, uh, you know dangerous weapons, and is um, you know well, there's constant agitation on on the border with India, which is another nuclear nation. So just something to to watch. Uh, Turkey, uh, again, the media doesn't like to cover this much, particularly in the U.S., because, um, you know, who cares about Turkey? Um, it's a NATO, NATO state. But um, Turkey has become an authoritarian regime uh, and, and is um, increasingly belligerent and, and militant. Um, and uh, you could have a flare-up. Uh, even though the U.S. has a base there, it's it's hard to it's pretty unpredictable uh, it, will, it will react. Whether it's Syria or even Greece, uh, there's just a lot of hostilities out there. And then China, this is a remote, very remote kind of risk, but the South China Sea remains a problem. Um, the U.S. Uh, is probing that area. Um, and the, the Chinese get, are getting agitated, and they, they're, they're putting in more resources, assets um, in the islands. And, um, you know, I don't see a, a military conflict necessarily, but a, an escalation of tensions that could result in uh, some serious market volatility is definitely possible. So since we are started with China, let's, let's look at, the economic aspects of, of China. You know, what are the risks of, of China slowing down? Um, it's, it's really less of a concern these days than, than it has been, since, for example, in uh, 2015. Um, but um, there, there are some headwinds in, in the Chinese economy. Uh, the currency, their currency has strengthened, and part of the reason I believe they're strengthening the, the yuan is to um, appease the U.S. to make sure that the, the U.S. doesn't view them as a currency manipulator by strengthening their currency. It removes some of that risk, but it also uh, creates some headwinds for growth for them. A stronger, a stronger currency um, has basically hurts their exporters. But also the, their interest rates have been rising and uh, credit expansion has slowed. 
which all of these things are, are um, resulting in a, in a potential slowdown. This particular chart shows the official uh, GDP growth uh, in China versus a, uh, a model from capital economics that um, uh, uses various inputs to estimate what the GDP, um, the real GDP actually is. And it's, it's starting to, um, the, the, the two are starting to diverge again, basically. So if you look at uh, um, some of the a couple of markets in China, uh, rates are rising, particular um, corporate bond yields have been have been climbing uh, recently, and, uh, and you know one of the reasons I, I like to bring up uh, corporate bonds in China is that they they developed a, a whole market uh, for something called wealth management products. I mean, when we think of wealth management products in, in the United States, we think of wealthy individuals and you know somebody managing their money. Wealth management products in China mean something entirely different. It basically means high-yielding uh, deposit accounts. Uh, so you go to your bank and, and you, you, you give them um, some amount of money, lock it up for three months, and they kind of guarantee you, quote, unquote, um, a high return, much higher than your typical sort of bank account would, would provide you. Now, the bank doesn't actually manage that money. They, they outsource that to a third party, which is generally a, some asset manager who a, a lot of times will buy corporate bonds or, or lend, uh, provide loans to uh, property developers and, and do things like that. It's, it's, a, it's a, not only is this a high risk sort of uh, investment profile, but it, there's a massive asset liability uh, mismatch because these assets tend to be sort of five years, three years, seven years in in maturity, and whereas the liability uh, of these products is you know three months. In three months, I want if I want to pull my money out, I should be able to pull my money out. And as long as there are more people putting money in than the people taking money out, it's not a problem. But if 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 you see a kind of a panic withdrawal. Uh, it will people um, these asset managers will, for, will be forced to sell to liquidate uh, and create a, a bit of a, a run on the bank effectively in in this uh, in the space. Just something to watch for. Again, the, I think the government is Beijing has been um, uh, pretty careful about trying to shrink some of these um, develop basically. Uh, reduce the leverage in the system, and and one way you can see them trying to reduce the leverage is in the um, uh, in the basically the broad money supply. The broad money supply is a representation of the amount of credit that's been created in in the system, and you can see that the ratio of the broad money supply as a, as a percent of the GDP seems to have peaked for now, uh, which means that uh, you know, the leverage that's been increasing for years is starting to um, um, get uh, curtailed. Um, and the hope is that they, this will be a, a, a slow process rather than a, a big disruption, uh, which, which could, uh, could be dangerous. And one other thing in, in China, the economy is, is increasingly dependent on um, Fiscal stimulus. This shows this chart shows uh, infrastructure uh, in, as a percentage of uh, fixed asset investment, right? So infrastructure tends to be a government-funded um, or, or a state-owned, company-funded uh, enterprise. Uh, so uh, infrastructure increasingly dominates fixed asset investment. Uh, meaning that the the price of the private sector slows, the government has to come in and and run big infrastructure projects from railroads to um, you know bridges and 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 other other sort of infrastructure things to um, to keep the economy going. 
if if Beijing decides to pull back on this, again, we could see a, a slowdown uh, more than expected. So that was the uh, that was China. I, again, I, I don't I don't see China as, as, a, as a major risk. Uh, I think it, it's certainly there, but but I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't see it as a, a significant concern. It's just something to watch. Now uh, let's look at the uh, back in the U.S. Look at inflation and interest rates. Um, so we had this uh, tax cut. Uh, which um, which is definitely going to boost the economy, um, but it, it does, at least in theory, create a um, an accelerating um, fiscal deficit. Um, in, uh, for, you know, basically a federal government deficit that is is going to worsen dramatically. Uh, now, you know, obviously. It, this year is not going to be make or break it, you know. So an extra trillion is not going to do a whole lot. But um, if people see that this trajectory um, of fiscal deficits is is worsening more than expected, uh, we could see um, some pressure on 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 treasuries um, because people could become concerned about um, you know how much. How much debt is out there, um, and how much debt will, will be out there, you know, going forward? So just by the sheer fact that um, the Federal Reserve is now no longer buying Treasuries, um, and uh, there's uh, increased need for funding, um, the amount of Treasuries issued this year will be significantly higher than we saw last year. Uh, and that those increases are expected to to continue uh, going forward. So, so a little bit of a, a kind of a fiscal pressure here um, going on. Now, on the inflation side, there's also a concern in that. Um, and if you just look at all the all the indicators out there, uh, are basically screaming inflation. Now, we've had this before, and inflation didn't materialize, so there's there's a lot of um, debate around this. But uh, starting to get to the point where uh, it's it's hard to imagine that we, we don't have a, a pop in inflation. It's just a matter of how big. I mean, if you look at the labor markets, are really tightening uh, in the U.S. And uh, if immigration gets tightened further. Um, it's yeah, we're gonna you know we're gonna look the labor markets could tighten as as much as they have in Japan for example, and and that's you know that's a, that's problematic. Um, at the same time, we'll have a the dollar is getting hammered as as we've seen uh, today um, with uh, the Treasury Secretary um, trashing the dollar. Um, it's, it's declining again, and uh, you know, so the combination of those and, and you know, rising oil prices, um, and you're looking at potentially a pop in, in, in inflation this year, and you can kind of see that in inflation expectations um, in the market. So the 10-year break-even rate, which is um, uh, derived. Uh, inflation expectation from the treasury linked uh, from the inflation linked treasuries um, is is starting to rise, and um, also you can see investors uh, jumping into um, um, treasury inde uh, inflation index treasuries. Um, this this uh, chart on the right shows the. Um, uh, shares outstanding of of the largest tips uh, ETF, which is the uh, inflation treasuries. So, yeah, so investors are starting to get concerned about this. So, if we do get inflation, how how high will um, the, our, the yields climb? And again, there's there's a it's a 
there's a lot of debate about this. But, you, you know, nobody knows, right? You, you could see a, a, you can see sort of rates stabilize, uh, but you could see them sort of the sell-off continuing throughout the year, uh, which um, could get pretty ugly. Uh, so uh, the chart on the left shows the five-year treasuries, and um, some of that increase in the five-year treasury yield is driven by the expectations of um, more aggressive Fed rate hikes. But some of it is, is driven by potentially near-term inflation as well. The chart on the right shows the probability of um, four rate hikes this year. And uh, sort of in the fall, nobody thought that, that you know, 2018 would have four rate hikes by the Fed. But as, as we move through, you know, to, through the end of the year and, and this month, uh, the market is starting to price in um, increasing probability that the Fed will hike four times. That happens. Um, uh, that's, um, uh, you know, that's, that's sort of beyond what people have expected and could shake um, other asset classes, other basically risk asset classes, such as stocks. Uh, so that's just something something I'm watching pretty closely. One of the developments in the United States that really stands out, and the media doesn't talk about it, in part because they don't understand it, is, is this uh, uh, contraction in uh, financial uh, conditions indices. So uh, financial conditions are easy. And what I mean by financial conditions is it's basically um, – uh, it's, it's an indication of how easy um, it is for you know how how ripe is the environment for uh, to take to take risk. You know, is it is it a, an inviting environment for risk taking? And um, we're at levels where uh, you know financial conditions have eased dramatically, um, despite the uh, Fed raising rates five times. So if you look at the red line, that's the Fed funds rate, uh, showing rates being being hiked. And the idea is that financial conditions can, should tighten as rates increase. But that hasn't happened that they ease. Part of the reason is the um, the dollar. The dollar um, continues to weaken, and, and a weaker dollar eases financial conditions. Uh, but... Yeah, with with financial conditions that easy, you you're looking at uh, asset bubbles and, and things of that nature uh, that make the things that make the Fed pretty nervous beyond inflation, um, and, uh, and so it could trigger the Fed to to get more aggressive with with rate hikes. So if you just look at this technical chart right here, it shows a ten year ten year Treasury yield. Uh, going back to the 80s, um, sort of been, been following this trend, and the question now is, uh, is this over, right? And if we, uh, from a technical perspective, if we break through this, um, you know, resistance trend line, um, you know, yields could go higher very quickly. One other note, um, this uh, chart shows the uh, – um, this is a result of the Merrill Lynch uh, Fund Manager Survey uh, in January. And uh, one of the questions they ask is, uh, what do you see as the greatest uh, tail risk, you know, something that could just creep up very suddenly and, uh, um, and cause um, a disruption? In in um, in sort of risk assets, and um, you know, it, uh, if you look historically, it was things like you know um, China slowing down. If you look at two, 2015, uh, it's all about China, right? Um, in, in you know, early, in 2016, they were talking about um, you know the GOP you know, winning the White House and, and 
that concern, and that, that wasn't a big deal. Uh, but, um, you know, they're talking about the EU and concerns about the EU stability and Brexit. Uh, but now the biggest thing on people's radar is inflation and, and a bond, potentially a bond crash. Uh, so, so this is where fund managers are, are, are concerned with. That's what they're concerned with, and that's what they're, they're watching right now. So, with the backgrounds, the, the, the trends that we described above, now let's take a look at um, asset value valuations and, and sentiment. So, you know, the people are constantly asking, is the stock market overvalued? And there's always debate about it. Uh, you talk to a lot of people, they, they say, you know, look, these, these earnings are are accelerating and the, the tax cuts um, created a boost for, for the stock market that, that is, just wasn't priced in before. And, um, you know, this rally will keep on going. But if you look at sort of some of the valuation metrics, um, they're starting to say that um, there's a little bit of a frothy uh, situation developing here in the stock market. So this is uh, Warren Buffett's favorite uh, kind of macro measure, which is um, market capitalization as a percentage of the GDP. And that's up there, you know, this one is, uh, is actually uh, at the levels we haven't seen since, uh, since, since the bubble of 2000. Um, that's sort of the dot-com era. Uh, so just some, something to watch. Uh, doesn't mean the market will crash tomorrow. Uh, but it's just, uh, you know, a useful data point. Um, another one is this thing called Schiller PE, uh, which is uh, also kind of an interesting metric that a lot of people track. And uh, while we're not, uh, not where we were uh, before the dot-com crash, the, um, you know, the valuations still look pretty frothy. In fact, um, you know, on, on, on the basis of this metric, we're um, valued, the stocks are valued more expensively than they have been before the, uh, the 1929 crash. Another metric is um, this uh, ratio, if you take uh, the S&P 500 earnings yield, basically kind of projected earnings um, divided by the stock market uh, value, you get a, a yield equivalent. Uh, and you take the ratio of, of the earnings yield to the 10-year treasury yield, that number is, is starting to shrink. And as the 10-year treasury yields rise, on a relative basis, the stock market becomes more and more overvalued. So even if the stock market doesn't doesn't rise anymore from from this point on, but treasury yields do, that basically is telling you the stock market is becoming more overvalued um, with with higher interest rates. So another metric to watch. And then if you look at the sentiment. Um, we're really at extreme levels. Um, it, it's uh, just as an example. This particular metric takes uh, the ratio of bulls to bears, um, and that ratio is uh, hasn't been this high since uh, 1987. You know, right before the uh, the crash. Um, so again, it doesn't say it doesn't tell us that you know. We have a crash ahead of us, but but it tells you that participant market participants are way too bullish, um, and and that's a, a you know from the contrarian perspective, that's a uh, not a good place to be. And then you know from the on the credit side, uh, spreads are kind of the tightest levels um, they've been in in a decade. Uh, that doesn't mean much, 
because um, what credit people would argue is that default rates are extremely low, um, so it justifies very tight spreads. Um, but um, you know, default rates is one of these things that's, that's pretty cyclical, and if we have a, a sudden slowdown, um, default rates could pick up rapidly. Uh, and and basically, by looking at this, you say we're not getting paid for the risk we're taking. Uh, this this particular spread is for high yield bonds. Uh, here's one for investment grade bonds. Um, also, uh, the sort of tightest level in 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 a long time. So those those are some of the uh, things to kind of watch and things I'm tracking. Um, now let's take a quick look at what what to expect beyond this year and wh where the risks are. Uh, so let's assume that this expansion lasts for another couple of years, which is what most economists are assuming that we're really heading the the the, the next the end to the economic cycle will be in in 2020. Um, when that happens, you will have been the longest economic expansion on record. Now, it's been a, a slow expansion on a relative basis, but it, but it's, it will be the longest, uh, which basically tells us that it's unlikely to last that much longer. Um, you know, expansions are, at some point, they, they run out of steam. That's just the nature of, of the economic cycle. Uh, so. 2020 is is where the consensus is uh, for uh, a, a slowdown. Now, we're not going to see anything similar to what we saw in the last recession. Uh, the fundamentals are far better. The banking industry is, is, is in great shape um, globally. Um, uh, just general economic trends are decent. So it's. It, if we have a, a slowdown, it will be a, it will be a slowdown, you know, a mild recession at most, but it, it will come. It's just a, it's just a matter of exactly when. Um, so uh, so that's that's kind of where where we are as far as the cycle, and and this is one of the projections of what employment growth would look like, for example, um, when we hit that slowdown. You know, we're not going to um, lose a lot of jobs, but employment growth will slow. In fact, some argue that it's already peaked, meaning that um, the, the rate of hiring uh, is already at um, as high as it's going to be, um, you know, for the next few years, in part because um, there's just the labor force isn't growing and um, there's not basically there's not enough people to hire. So that's part of the reason for a slowdown, but once uh, once you have an economic pullback, uh, hiring will slow even further. And that's, uh, and people are talking about, again, 2020. And, uh, you know, some economists are saying that the Fed uh, will, will be, uh, is gonna be pretty aggressive this year and next year. And then in 2020, uh, when the slowdown takes place, um, it may be um, it may have overshot, may have gone too far, and will be forced to actually cut rates um, in um, in a couple of years. And so, one of the reasons actually that people suggest that the Fed should continue hiking aggressively is that when it when the slowdown does take place. Um, there's going to be room to cut. Otherwise, at these really low rates, there's not much, not much room before you hit zero. Um, so that's, um, you know, there's there's quite a bit of debate about it. But you're talking about, you know, again, 2020, we're hitting a uh, a soft patch in in the economy. So that's kind of the, that's where the risks are. And you know, obviously, the soft patch in the economy means a correction in, in the stock market, you know, widening yields, yield spreads uh, for for credit, um, and um, 
in other other risk assets correcting potentially. So um, so we're not we're not there yet, but uh, that's what people are talking about a couple of years from now. So that's that's all we have, um, and um, maybe we can basically uh, have a few questions and some discussion. Great, Lev. Thanks very much. Uh, um, ho hopefully, everybody out there uh, um, was able to hear everything okay. We did have some technical problems at the start of uh, of the webinar, but I think we've overcome that. Uh, hope everything's good. Um, so, so Lev, uh, you, you didn't talk too much about any risks associated with new tax policy, repatriation of capital. Any risks associated there? Yeah. Um, it, it's it's actually going to mitigate some of the risk in that um, some of this capital comes back when it does come back. It's a one-time boost um, to to the U.S. Treasury, right? Because it, you know, Apple brings back you know two hundred billion dollars, some massive amount like that, and pays a you know forty billion dollar tax to the Treasury. That's that's sort of an immediate uh, pop for them, and what I was thinking actually that could delay the um, the debt ceiling because it'll be mm -hmm. a little extra extra cushion for for Treasury, but it's it's a one time event and um, and that'll be over you know it's, it's done. As far as the overall uh, corporate tax cut. It's a it's a boom for for the corporate sector. I mean, you can have um, not only companies moving into the U.S. Um, because because it's, it's you know such a so much the environment is all of a sudden so much better. Uh, you can have less activity in you know tax havens offshore. Uh, a lot of the capital is going to sort of start showing up here in, in you know in the U.S. Uh, so uh, the corporate tax cut is is um, is definitely a, a, an extreme positive for growth and, and for the stock market. The only concern I would have is typically when people introduce tax cuts. You look at the Bush administration, for example, they introduced several tax cuts. When they did that, um, it's usually when when the economy is, is slowing, right? When you have a, a pause in economic growth. Uh, and that helps lubricate some of the um, sort of economic wheels. Uh, here we're, we're talking about an already strong economy. Uh, the economy was really strong, you know, back in 2016. We already had really nice growth and low unemployment. And now you, you add this tax um, cut on top of it, it will it, it risks potentially overheating the economy quickly. Right, and so you could have um, high inflation, high bond yields, and more, a more aggressive Federal Reserve, leading to a, a quicker slowdown. Right, um, so this overheating is is a little bit of a risk because you you're adding fiscal stimulus at the time when it's not needed. Right, um, and so the Fed will have to compensate for that by removing stimulus. Monetary stimulus quicker, uh, which creates a bit of a risk. So that that's kind of my thought on that. Does uh, does the repatriation of, of capital and new tax policy will that also help with with uh, a pretty significant, I would think, increase in wages? We basically had a wage freeze for the last 15 years overall. How how does how does that impact? Uh, how do you see it impacting? Yeah, I mean, the, some of this, uh, some of the wage increases that you see companies doing uh, is a little bit of a political game where they're, they're basically saying, well, thank you, White House. Here's what we're doing for, for you know, for the United States. Uh, but uh, if you combine that with the fact that labor markets were already tight, right, uh, you know, I remember in 2016 people talking about, oh, my God, the, the economy is so slow and no, it wasn't slow. It was, it was, it was doing really well, and um, and the job market was already really tight. Now mm -hmm. you're tightening even more because as more companies move onshore, they're they're hiring more, you know, looking for more people, and, and companies are already complaining they just can't hire enough. They they can't find people, 
right? right. I, I've spoken to three companies just in the last few weeks, and they're basically t saying that they can't find workers for like factory floors um, without the, the only the only people they can find uh, are people that can't pass the uh, drug test, <laughs> right? Uh, which is a real problem. So that's the only slack labor that exists for people um, that had some either have criminal records or, or have uh, have addiction problems. Now those folks will get hired as well, right? As, as things tighten, um, but at some point you basically literally run out of people to hire. It becomes like Japan, where you you want to draw people into the workforce that have retired or people are staying home with kids. Um, you want to draw them back into the workforce because there's just not enough. And if you tighten the immigration um, spigot, uh, with the uh, basically U U.S. workforce is isn't growing at all. It's been flat for like 10 years. Uh, you got a problem, right? So wages will rise, and uh, you know potentially could feed into inflation. You you talked about a number of risks. The uh, the bond the you know a potential bond uh, you know, market crash in essence be, being large. And is that is that the biggest one that, that you that you see, or what do you see as the the, the biggest? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there are two immediate risks that I see uh, on the horizon. Uh, one is the is like you said, uh, you know, high inflation and a, and a bond market crash. Uh, you know, yields rising. And for now, the stock market's been ignoring higher yields. Oh, who cares? The bond market, right? But at some point, you look at um, bond yields and say, wait a minute, the the yield on on um, uh, you know on the stock market isn't isn't dramatically higher than the yield on on, on bonds on a relative basis. Uh, rising yields could really hurt the stock market. So that's one one risk. And of course, the Fed rise, raising rates more rapidly is, is related to that. The other one is is trade, um, and um, you know, a trade war with China or even even a, a NAFTA withdrawal could uh, could do serious damage to um, to sentiment and to the stock market, and, and could introduce it could also accelerate inflation. Right? Uh, you think about it. You you, you put you put um, a 5% or 10% tariff on Chinese imports in the United States, and you go to Walmart, and everything is 5 to 10% more expensive. Guess what that does to sentiment inflation, affordability, um, and and so you know that's a risk. So tra a trade war, you know, could could be a, could be significant. Okay. What about emerging markets? Uh, what what could derail the market rally there? Yeah, so um, one, one possibility is we've seen the dollar decline, which has been which has been tremendous for the uh, for emerging markets. A weaker dollar is always always helpful for emerging markets. But if, if rates rise significantly in the U.S., the dollar could start rising again, and that could derail the uh, emerging markets rally. Um, it's uh, Emerging markets have outperformed uh, the, the U.S. stock market uh, over the past year by by quite a bit, uh, and that could easily reverse. Mm -hmm. You you spoke a little bit about NAFTA. There, there's a lot in the in the news uh, in the journal about NAFTA, obviously. And you know what what are the risks associated with the NAFTA pullout beyond uh, the hit to U.S. agricultural and the automotive sectors? Yeah, so so you know, from if you look at some of the most vulnerable communities in, in the U.S., the rural communities that have been depressed, uh, you know, obviously they're some of them are reliant on on NAFTA. You know, we sell uh, pork and and chicken and and corn um, to Mexico, and you know, getting that if that takes a hit, it's uh, it's a problem. We sell gasoline to them. Um, natural gas, you know, so uh, Texas could, could get hurt. Um, but that, those are manageable risks. What, what I'm more concerned about is a pullout of NAFTA will put Mexico into an economic depression, 
um, you know, 80% mm -hmm. of their exports are to the United States, right? And, and so if you, if you create a depression, economic depression in Mexico, and many people in this country say, yeah, good for that, you know, do it. But people don't understand what, what, what the impact it has. Two things that, that will happen immediately. One, um, the, you know, people are concerned about illegal immigration. With regard to Mexico, Migration has been the other way in recent years, meaning that there are more people going from the U.S. to Mexico than from Mexico to the U.S., right? Um, now, you create a depression in Mexico and the flood of, of uh, you know, illegal migration into the U.S. will just accelerate. So it actually will worsen the problem that, that you're trying to solve here. Um, and and that you're talking about you know humanitarian issues, right? You're talking about thousands of people who, who lose their jobs and, and are trying to survive running across the border, uh -huh. and no wall is going to stop them. Trust, right. right? Right. So that's one thing. The other thing, and and again, the media doesn't talk about it because they don't understand it. Is um, one of the important economic um, underground economic trends in Mexico is the dependence on uh, opium exports, so opium-related products, heroin, right? Um, so we, we fight a war in Afghanistan, um, trying, to, trying to keep Afghanistan from uh, moving all that heroin around, right? But the heroin from Afghanistan is going to Europe and to Asia. Heroin coming into this country tends to come from Mexico, right? It's, and it's already a, a, a major issue. Imagine if the peso tanks and the economy gets depressed, the price of heroin will come down to the point mm -hmm. where a school kid can buy it with lunch money, right? And the flood of heroin into the U.S. will accelerate, right? So that, that those two things, I think, are, are, I would call them sort of national security risks mm -hmm. that nobody talks about. What's going on, Love, with, with uh, trucking and freight? We've seen in the last year that, that prices have just gone through the roof to, to, to move product, especially via, via truck. When are we going to see this impact prices? And, and what's that going to mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's so far it's been hitting margins, right? Uh, yeah. Because people get basically been able to, but but it's start it's starting. Um, I think you know Amazon jacked up uh, the price for their for their Amazon Prime accounts. I don't know if you mm -hmm. saw that. Two two dollars right. an account, three dollars three dollars a month, right? Right. And yeah. and the, the the reason is that they provide you free shipping. Um, as part of as part of that uh, account, but now that shipping is, got, is getting more expensive. It will continue to get more expensive. Now, combine that with rising gasoline prices, right? Because as, as crude oil prices, you know, been lifted, gasoline prices are on the rise as well. And so, you know, diesel and gasoline, and so your shipping costs um, have. Capacity constraints, so the prices are going up because of it. And now you're going to have fuel um, impact. So the combination of those two things uh, will will uh, feed into inflationary pressures. And that's why I'm saying, you know, it's this this is the year when inflation should start popping up. Right. And you also you also have uh, regulation on uh, on the drivers themselves now that are being enforced. Yep. Yeah, that's it, uh, and you know, without good infrastructure improvements, uh, if you ever talk to any truckers, they, they will tell you that one of the constraining factors for them is you know terrible highways right. where they you know they it takes them longer to move. Um, it, there's more wear on the truck. Uh, there's more wear on the driver, and. Um, you know, it's, a, it's an issue. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, well, love. Thanks again. Uh, yep. Looks like we're we're right at our <laughs> we're right at our hour a little, a little over as always. Um, I want to thank everybody who signed in for the hour as well uh, as our presenter, Lev Bardofsky. Uh, should anyone have any further questions or feedback, feel free to email them to us at webinars at starmountaincapital.com. We will be uh, emailing everybody who registered and attended uh, the slides uh, from today's webinar along with a replay. Uh, to the webinar where we will put it on YouTube. We also now have uh, um, a couple of podcast channels where we make them available. So, so we, we try to we try to make them you know readily uh, available for everybody. Lev, uh, thanks again. This was great. Thanks very much, guys. Take care. All right, guys. Everybody, have a good day.